This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a professional dog trainer who thinks dog training should be fun and the pet industry should be diverse. I will tell you all about her and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a pet parent, a dog trainer, and behavior consultant. She's an entrepreneur. She owned and operated a dog daycare for seven years. I bet we could do a whole episode on that and all the things she saw and learned there. She is a road tripper, a foodie, a wine snob, and a tea drinker. She's originally from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, Currently lives in Carberry. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Carberry, Manitoba, Canada. She's partner to Sean, dog mom to two Rottweilers, Epic and Saga. She's creator of the Rotten Dog blog. She's a Yoka Boobar. Welcome, Yoka. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Isabel. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you here to speak about stuff that's really important to our industry that doesn't get covered enough. But before mm-hmm. I go into the nitty gritty, I want to introduce our drinking game today. So everybody participating in our drinking game at home, anytime you hear this word. The secret word is epic. Make sure you take a drink of whatever you're enjoying. It could be alcoholic, non-alcoholic, whatever it is, just join the fun. But if you are having an alcoholic beverage, make sure you're over 21 in the U.S. to partake. Never drink and drive and always drink responsibly. So I have a sus- that you're going to be training later. So what are you having this afternoon? I'm having just plain old tap water. Nothing tap water. for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think the dogs are going to appreciate that. I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing worse than a boozy dog trainer giving them mixed messages. Right? Don't always make the best training choices. No, when booze is involved. No, 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 not at all. Well, I'm not training anybody, especially not dogs today. I'm having a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon because since we are fellow wine snobs, I wanted to bring out the vino. So cheers. Thank you so much for being on the show and being my guest. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, I always start this show with the game and today is no different. Uh, Yoka is like a big fan of dog sports and I've not been able to interview anybody about dog sports specifically, like specific dog sports. And I know nothing about dog sports. So if you're game, 
I would like to play a game called Dog Sports, and it's a quick fire challenge where I'm just going to ask you your opinion on certain things involving dog sports. Are you ready to play? Sure am. All right, let's do this. How do dog sports benefit dogs and their handlers? Um, they help build the bond between dogs and their handlers through training. Perfect. What is your favorite dog sport? My favorite dog sport is sheep herding. Ooh. What dog sport should all dog owners know about and potentially try? I think all dog owners should know about and try trick dogs. Ooh, okay. That is not what I was expecting. I like that. I like that a lot. I was thinking maybe you would say nose work or something. No, tricks. I mean, nose work can be part of tricks, but everybody can teach their dog a trick. Everybody. That's true. That's true. Especially little kids would be get a kick out of that too, wouldn't yeah, it? It would be fun to involve the whole family. Yeah. All right. Which of your dogs is best at dog sports in general? Oh, that's a hard one. I would say Epic, but she's had more training than Saga has. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. All right, what is the easiest dog sport for regular dog parents, not trainers, not pros, to get involved with? The easiest one, I would say Sprinter or what we call in the States FCAT, which is just one, it's like a single dog drag race, start to finish, you can do it as a recall or they can chase a lure and you don't need any training to do it. You just have to be able to hold on, have someone hold on to your dog and release them and you catch them at the end. How cool, I love that. Okay, which is the most difficult dog sport to get into? I would say that I've done herding. Really? Yes. I read one of your blogs where you talk about how a lot of these dog sports are mostly represented by certain breeds. Mm-hmm. So those breeds are probably naturally just herders, right? Yep. And then your dogs are originally, Rottweilers were originally sheep herders, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean- Originally cow herders. Cow herders, okay. So are they are they just as interested as sheep dogs would be? In a different way, but absolutely just as interested. How cool, I love that. I love that we're talking about representation in every way. Like mm -hmm. get more dogs in to sports, regardless of their breed. I love that. Yep. All right. What dog sport would you like to see go by the wayside? Are there any that you're just like, I don't like that sport? You know what? I don't think so. I think all dog sports have their merits. Some of them are more challenging than others, which is good for those of us looking for a big challenge. Some of them are easier to access. Some of us do more than one dog sport. Um, I'm a live and let live with the dog sports kind of person. <laughs> I love it. And what is missing in dog sports? What is missing? Is there any dog sport you'd like to see added? Is there any kind of, you I don't know, know I've never thought about that. I can't think, I can't think of anything that's missing, but that doesn't mean someone else wouldn't think of something awesome. All right. Well, now, you know, to, to kind of start looking, what else can you add to what's already existing? But I feel like yep. you add so much with your blogs. If you're interested in dog sports, definitely check out the Rotten Dog blog because I love all the blogs you have on you have it all like numbered oh, thank like you. steps to doing different things to getting involved I love it so much and I want to learn about you and your dog training trajectory because I've been following you for a long time on social media I know that you ran a doggy daycare for mm -hmm. seven years so first of all how did you get into the doggy daycare well <laughs> I actually the lady that mentored me in training wanted to open up her own business she was training out of a building that was closing and the building itself was going to be 
torn down and something else put up in its place. So she was losing her building, but she wanted to open up uh, a training business. She'd been doing it part-time, but she wanted to really go as a business. And she and I, because we trained together, talked about, you know, business opportunities, what would work together well as businesses. And we talked about dog daycare and dog training and dog training and behavior was something that really interested me. So we went in business together. There was no trajectory. There was no, I, you know, I'm not the kind of person that, you know, grew up with dogs or, you know, has had a dog since before I could crawl. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was just, I was working, you know, quote unquote, for the man. And I decided I wanted to try running my own business. And I did. So you obviously prefer dog training over doggy daycare. I do. Dog daycare is a really tough business. I would go back to it if I could. But the way the numbers worked, we couldn't make the money we wanted operating it the way that we wanted to. Yeah, that is that is a challenge right there. Those profit margins are so small, for sure. So how about dog sports? What got you into that? Um, actually, when I got my very first dog, I had a really good friend um, that I worked with at the time that was into fly ball with her dog. And her enthusiasm and love for dogs and fly ball got me interested in dog sports and fly ball was the very first dog sport that I ever did. So that's how I got interested was through a friend. Do you think that there's dog sports everywhere? Like I've never even looked in El Paso, Texas, if there's any kind of dog sport, is it pretty common or or am I just missing something? I think so. In the larger communities, like I, I have, I'm Canadian, so I have no reference for how big El Paso is, but you know, in larger (laughs) In larger centers, there tends to be, but I think you'll find it in different corners of all over the US and Canada and wherever else your listeners are listening from. You would find it in surprising corners, I think. That is good news. I need to actually look. I need to take some time and look at that because I have an 11-year-old border collie who is like a puppy. And I know she would love to get into any of that. So I want to know about your dog training kind of energy and how you manage your one-on-ones. You say that you believe it should be fun. So tell me, how do you interact with your dogs and their handlers? I believe it should be fun. I believe it should be fun for both dogs and for their handlers, especially when we're talking about dog sports, because dog sports isn't life or death here. We're talking about having, you know, it should be a recreation, something we do that enhances our lives is what I believe about dog sports. So my personal belief is that I don't believe we need to use punishment in order to do dog sports. I don't use it with my own dogs. I don't train using punishment. I use positive reinforcement. And I think that training should be cooperative and that our dogs should be engaged and part of the training and have a say. And, you know, they're their own beings, even though we live with them and manage a lot of their lives. They do have preferences and, you know, I won't say thoughts, but they, you know, they do have preferences. They do tell us things if we're willing to listen. And I think that that sort of encompasses how I think about training and dogs. I love that so much. I love that you have that philosophy. I share that philosophy. I think it should be collaborative, cooperative, like you said. And I think that it's interesting that you want to apply that to dog sports. Is force commonly used to this day in sports? I would say in some sports more than others, but you would probably find it in just about every sport to a greater or lesser degree. So are you talking about like prong choke shock collars or more like correction type things? You could find something as I'll say small as a verbal correction up to using and including prong choke electronic collars in dog sports all over. And, And for me personally, my personal ethics are this is supposed to be fun. 
for me and for my dog. It's not a life or death situation. We're not talking about my life at stake or my dog's life or anybody else's right. life at stake. You know, if, you know, as a, as a professional dog trainer, I'm obligated to use Lima. I don't know if you've talked about Lima in your least invasive, minimally aversive techniques, right? So if I was going to, if I was going to use aversive techniques, it would be for the big life or death things. It's not going to be for, I want to go have fun with my dog on a Saturday afternoon and a bunch of other dog owners. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be a positive addition to to everybody's life. So it's, yeah. it reminds me of like the teenager's mom who's like forcing them to s- go to swim practice and taking all the fun out of the swim experience and yes. the team experience. You know what I mean? That That's what yeah. it's giving me. It's giving me like that like helicopter parent. But like these, these dogs are not going to like, sure, they can win prizes, right? But they're not going to like secure like, you know, a college scholarship at the end of their performance. So their like, life is not at stake. It truly it's is. Not, it's not, it's not. I love that so much. Well, I need to take a break right here, but when we come back, I want to speak a little bit about the lack of diversity in the pet industry. And that's why I invited a yoga here because she and I share a lot of the same perspective. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Zarada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with Ayoka Pupar, who is a professional dog trainer based out of Canada, who I met online. She didn't know me. I was following her for a long time, and I remember her posting one day, about a particular conference. And her question was, how much melanin was at XYZ conference? And I said, "Hmm, interesting question. Good question. A question I don't see that often because in the pet industry, I have noticed that I am one of the solo Latinas that's ever, that I've ever met in the pet industry. So I know I'm not the only one feeling that. And I wanted to talk to Ayoka about her experience. But first, Ayoka, if you're game, I want to play a second game with you, and it's called Representation Matters. Okay. And unfortunately, I could not find any statistics for pet sitting, which is my former industry. I was a pet sitter professionally for 12 plus years. I could not find any statistics or demographics for dog training. I did, however, find statistics for the veterinary profession in the U.S. So this game is all about an article that was published by Time Magazine in 2020 about Black, Indigenous, people of color in the veterinary profession in the U.S. These numbers are disappointing. But are you ready to play a true and false game with me? And so we can all learn together about just how disappointing these numbers are. Okay, let's go. Let's go. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics predicts jobs for vets and vet technicians will grow 6% by 2029. Do you think it's true or false? I say it's false because I think it's going to grow more. Yes, you're right. You're so smart. 16%. I was like, she's going to get this one. She's informed. All right, next one. Nearly 65% of white households have pets. True or false? And that's in the U.S. 
In the US, 65% of white households, I would say, oh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna say false, because I think it's more too. According to this, I agree that I've heard higher statistics for this, but yeah. according to this article, it is accurate. It is 65%. Okay. And this actually surprised me. 61% of Hispanic households have pets, true or false? I'm gonna go with true. It is true. I actually didn't expect it to be that high, to be honest with you, because in my culture, in many ways, there's still people being like, a dog is an outside dog, like a dog is a working animal, like it's not really like a pet, but it's changing and obviously the numbers are reflecting right. that. And pets aren't and, just dogs. Right, exactly, exactly. And in the Hispanic culture, cats are not pets. Like, okay. we don't have cats. Like, people are like, no. No pet cats, no litter box inside. Correct. Correct. It's, all about, it's all about the Hispanic mom not allowing all of these things in the house. Like, I think you'd have to have a very convincing, like, spouse or child to bring anything other than maybe a dog to the backyard. But things are changing. That's the yeah. way I was raised. Uh, my grandmother, for example, doesn't want anything to do with pets. Like she's surrounded by animals all the time, every time she visits and she kind of whatever. My mom likes dogs, loves them, but they have to be a specific kind of small dog, non-shedding, blah, blah. She has her limit. Mm -hmm. And then there's yep. me who will take any dog that like shows up or pet. <laughs> I've, you know, I've hand raised kittens. I've rescued hamsters, you name it, I've done it. Mm -hmm. So it's changed. And I think yep. all generations are getting a little more comfortable. So next one is almost 37% of black households have pets in the US. Almost 37%? I will say true. That is true. That is very true. That's the first time I've actually seen that any kind of statistic related yeah. to you know race and ethnicity. Okay, so those numbers came from ABMA's research from a study or poll conducted in 2017 or 2018. So I think that what you're seeing is probably higher numbers today just because it's been a long time. But that was the last time the AVMA actually published any such numbers. So that's also something that they need to get on. Because <laughs> it's mm -hmm. been a while. <laughs> Especially after the pandemic. Things changed a lot. The pandemic yeah. changed a lot for uh, pet ownership. All right. Of the more than 104,000 veterinarians in the US, nearly 90% are white. I would say true. That is absolutely true. Less than 2% are Hispanic. Out of the 90, less than 2%, I would say true. And almost none are black. I would say true. True, true, true. It is absolutely true according to a 2019 Bureau of Labor Statistics figures. In 2013, I have two more questions for you. This one's one of them. In 2013, the veterinary profession was dubbed the whitest in America by the Atlantic. Oh my, I'm gonna go with true. It was out of wow. 33 professions that they ranked, veterinary medicine was number one. And then finally, one, one historically black college has educated more than 70% of the US's current black vets. One historically black I would college. say true. Have you seen the Facebook meme of the photographs of all their graduates with their pets? Yes. Out recently, it's their beautiful photos of beautiful people with their pets. Um, yeah, beautiful brown and not and some white people, but you know, yes. mostly various shades of brown in that um, in that class, a graduating class. But there there is post that's been going around that, that yes. celebrates that. Yes, and it's funny because in not funny, funny, not funny, haha, funny like interesting in that the AVMA when this was published in 2020 didn't have any kind of a committee or part of their organization dedicated to diversity and inclusion. Now they do, so I think. Tides are turning, but obviously not fast enough, and it's a, a lot little too late, right? But now they do have a committee 
in 2022 dedicated to diversity and inclusion. It's a fellow. And there's also a multicultural veterinary medicine organization that operates sort of outside of the AVMA, which is yes, amazing I actually, and does some great work. I actually found it in my research. I did not write the name, but I know exactly what you're talking about. These are relatively new and they are making a lot of waves. And I actually, I think individual organizations are also trying. Um, I just applied to Karen Pryor, the Karen Pryor Academy yep. for their professional course. And they do have a scholarship for black indigenous people of color. So I think it's it's changing and it's great, but I want to kind of pick your brain so that those who are watching and being like, so, okay, so there are no black vets. Like, okay, there are no Hispanic pet sitters. Okay, there are no black dog trainers. I want you to tell me like, why do you think it matters that there aren't? I think that, you know, when we look at our general population, we have, we have black, we have Latina, we have, you know, we have people of all different backgrounds. And when we don't see them represented in our professions across the board, whether it be car mechanic, whether it be vet, whether it be dog trainer, it means that Perhaps our culture of our organizations are missing something, you know, that they're not being welcome and, and open. And I think welcome and open organizations are the ones that grow and the ones that thrive because they're listening to their members, they're working for their members. So I think, I think in order to keep up with things in today's world, you know, we need more veterinarians. What was the statistic? 16%. Yes. Yes. 16%. That's a lot. If you think about how many veterinarians there are in the U.S. working in all sorts of places, right? Like yes. in Manitoba, where I am, not far from uh, where I am, a lot of the veterinarians are working in the meat industry or on in the farm and agriculture right. industry. Agriculture. So, you know, vets are everywhere. It's not just taking your cat to the vet. It's all over the place. And, you know, I think if we're missing those people, we're missing some really important voices that could help shape and improve our organizations. Absolutely. Why do you want to see more diversity within the dog training, pet care industry in general? You know, I honestly, I think I think people deserve to have trainers that look like them, you know, <laughs> like, yes. someone that understands, you know, like you were talking about, my mom would never allow a pet in the house. So then how do you learn about pets? And, and pet care, you know, like maybe having a trainer that shares your background helps you mm -hmm. understand things a little bit better and helps you incorporate things into your day to day life a little bit better. And I think we all work better with people that under at least understand us or understand right. a part of how we live. Absolutely. I totally agree. How does the representation matter to the dog owners as far as them feeling heard, like um, seen? When I go to a veterinary office, I never expect to see a Hispanic veterinarian. Like I just, I just don't. And I'm sure most black people don't expect to walk in to a veterinary clinic and be like, hey. I would be shocked. Right. <laughs> so like, why does that matter? Why is, as even just like as a personal um, kind of something to notice like does that matter to you does that say wow like I'm so proud I'm happier I'm more connected does that make a difference to you or do you not care based on the care that they give you um I would say I would be absolutely proud I mean the care that my animals get is wonderful and I think it would be wonderful you know regardless of what our right. veterinarian looked like that's what we would expect but to have a little bit of diversity, I think, would make me feel proud and definitely more comfortable in that yeah. Um, yeah. situation. Because I do wonder sometimes what assumptions a veterinarian is making about me 
as a person based on my skin color and how I look. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That maybe a person of color might not. Right. Well, it's funny because the article said this. It actually, the article's fantastic. If you have not read the Time Magazine article from 2020, that is about, I think the title is Black Veterinarians Want More Diversity. It asked the question, why are Black or Hispanic kids not interested in becoming veterinarians? It's because they've never, that wasn't maybe an option for them because they've never seen a veterinarian because they didn't grow up with pets, right? But it doesn't mean that they wouldn't be a, an amazing addition to the industry later in life when they right. were exposed to other uh, possibilities living on their own. And then it also talks about how maybe waiting until helping, you know, college graduates get into the veterinary industry is too late. Like if by then they've already maybe chosen other career paths. Yep. Absolutely. Not veterinary medicine. Yeah. Well, and, and I think if we want to think even bigger, if we just think about people of color in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and I always forget what M is. Mathematics. Mathematics. Veterinary medicine is part of STEM. And we see, yeah. we also see a lag in and, and a lack of diversity in STEM jobs and professions on the whole. Are you thinking that there's more than can be done at this point? Like, obviously, we've talked about AVMA starting a, a committee. We've talked about the or other organization that's not related to the AVMA. We've talked about Karen Pryor and similar organizations offering scholarships to kind of help people surpass barriers, financial barriers to get into the mm -hmm. industry. What else can be done? I think I think organizations can be more welcoming. I love that Karen Pryor offers um, those scholarships. And right now, if you look at the big conferences, they're the only ones offering a scholarship for wow. Black, Indigenous, and people of color. That's really sad, actually. Mm -hmm. I think our organizations can do better. There are some committees, but I'm a believer that committee work is slow yes. um, in organizations. My experience with committees is they're always the air on the side of safety. And right. there's always a concern of acting and behaving appropriately towards people of color. You know, I think there's some fear there as yes. to how, how to include people of color in things. There's some of these organizations have gone, you know, have done some things that are pretty damaging that maybe people of color don't want to be a part right. of those organizations. Um, right. Because people in not necessarily the organization, but people that are part of those organizations and continue to be parts of those organizations have done damaging things. Right. So, you know, I wish I had a magic wand. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> These problems are not easy to solve, which is... And they weren't created overnight. Correct. But I think, I think we can do better. I think organizations can do better by offering certainly offering scholarships. How many people of color, you know, when I asked that question about how much melanin people saw at a certain conference, you know, I was just asking a general question. Right. And it could be melanin in the participants because this was an in-person conference. How many people of color were at the conference as participants learning? How many people of color were at the conference delivering um, content? You know, yes. so organizations can do this in in multiple ways show that we've got people of color in in positions where they're teaching and yes. and expose expose <laughs> expose the rest of dog trainers to something a little bit different i think it where change needs to happen is is all the way up from the individual to the organization i i thought long and hard you know like how could i personally change and i can change by what i do individually i can change by coming and talking to people like you on podcasts, which I have, and I can change by pushing organizations to do some things. I'm not at the point yet where I want to participate in some of these organizations because I'm not sure. 
I'm not confident that most of them have the best interests of people in, of color in mind. I feel like maybe some of their their movements towards inclusion are performative. Right, right. And it's also not your individual responsibility to like educate a whole organization. There's of that why, too. There's of lots why of they should care, right? Like you got that it. is not, you are not hired no. as a consultant. You are a dog trainer who wants representation. But I, you know, the way, the way I was raised and the way I, I think, you know, if there's going to be a problem, then I need to be part of the, the solution. solution. I love that. Um, I saw that you were talking on your blog about there was a discussion that came up about race or diversity or inclusion, or I can't remember the word you use. And somehow I became, I was a part of it. And then you were like, dot, dot, dot. Is anybody surprised? And I think it's great that you're willing to like have the hard conversations. I just hate to see you know, the solitary person carrying all that weight. Yeah. It's hard. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we help each other? How can participants in the industry that care, that want to see more diversity inclusion, how can these individuals make a difference? I think by asking, asking the awkward questions when they are on their committees, have, you know, how many people of color are going to be involved? Have we thought about including people with diverse backgrounds and diverse doesn't always mean you know when we think people of color that's visually diverse right. you know in a way right, <laughs> um, right, right diversity right. can include a lot of different kinds of people of course so I think we need to be asking the questions about how we're we're being inclusive in everything that we do not having a committee but bringing diversity into all aspects mm-hmm. of an organization and committees are great like I said they they can get some certain things done they show a desire to make changes, but they don't always, in my experience, arrive at making changes very quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's too much bureaucracy. Like it, yeah, it just it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. That's just how they work. You know, organizations are made up of members. You know, yes. I pay to be a member of the, you know, I'm a certified professional dog trainer through this, the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. So I'm a member. I pay $300 plus Canadian every three years to continue my membership. And when they have sent out things asking different questions about race and inclusivity, I've participated in that. How it is being used, I have no idea because I haven't seen any results of that to date. Would I be on a committee within the organization? I'm not, I'm not there yet. That's a time commitment. You know, it's always, we want your time. We want your time. We want your time. And when you're an entrepreneur, your time is limited. Of course. Of course. And I work really hard at keeping a work-life balance. Yes. So I think asking the hard questions is how Mm -hmm. anybody can ask those questions. Yeah. And they're hard questions. And it doesn't mean you have to have the answer in order to ask that question. But I think we need to start asking um, those questions. I would say two years ago when um, the Black Lives Matter movement was really active, that a lot of organizations were asking themselves these questions. But I feel like I feel like now it's on the back burner. There's Mm -hmm. nothing has moved forward. Like I said, Karen Pryor, I've seen make some some public changes to their. But if you look at their their faculty, they're still pretty white. (laughs) Still pretty white when you look at their faculty. So you know, are they making changes? Absolutely. Are they where they should be? Not not yet. Nobody is. You know. And um, yeah, we need to hold these organizations accountable a little bit too. You know, like ask the questions. They give us answers. They kind of placate us a little bit, and then we need to follow up, and then we need to hold them accountable. And it is something that takes time, but I mean, it's 
what are the benefits? What are the benefits? To me, the benefit is different perspectives, different experiences, all learning from each other makes us better as individuals and therefore impacts the way that we deal with our clients and interact with the clients that we we work with. It just makes us better people. So what is your goal with inclusion and, and seeing more black people of color. Yeah, I would, I would agree with, with everything that you just said, that more inclusion means more ideas, more ideas means, you know, that those really good ideas get disseminated and that the profession on the whole, you know, we're an unregulated profession in dog training. Yes. And there's been the drumbeats of, you know, this, our profession is going to be regulated eventually down the road. And I think um, once we get into regulation, that a lot of the thoughts about people of color and all of that are going to kind of disappear because that'll be the big thing in the industry yes. to sort of right the industry has to tackle I would like to see diversity tackled before regulation but we may not have a choice in that wow but I I think that you know dissemination of ideas and and brainstorming and working together because the other thing is or I mean we're talking about ideas we're talking about being better which means better outcomes for our clients which are dogs Correct. and their owners right? Exactly. And we want dogs and their owners to be living and coexisting peacefully together. You know, I'm more active in training dog sports. So I want dogs and their owners to be having fun in dog sports, because I think that enhances human life to have fun with their dogs. Absolutely. And I think in many ways too, this 37% of black households have pets with all the benefits of having pets, the benefits being active, you know, stress relief that they offer. I think everybody should have access. And if they see more representation, their veterinarians are black, their pet sitters black, their dog trainers black. It it just makes it feel like they're not out of place. Like they're not the random person in the neighborhood who decided to get a dog and I just feel like Latinos too like I mean I see here in El Paso everybody has like chihuahuas and we have a lot of dogs here and we have a lot of Latinos here and it's because of the area being very chihuahua friendly our our baseball team is chihuahuas and you see (laughs) just how much fulfillment especially the elderly get from adding these animals to their homes that companionship and I hate to see that only 37% of black households are enjoying that those benefits of companionship and and sharing their lives with pets. Yeah. So I want everybody to know everything about you. Tell us how my audience can learn more about you, follow you and support you and all the that that you're doing. The two best ways to learn about me are on my website, which is iokabubar.com, real simple, a y o k a b u b a r.com. I'm on Facebook as Ayokububar CPDTKA. But if you do on Facebook, if you hit the at symbol and A-Y-O-K-A dot B-U-B-A-R, I'll come up for you there. And then on Instagram, I am the OG Rotten Dog. So T-H-E-O-G-R-O-T-T-E-N-D-O-G. Perfect. Thank you so much. I want to propose a toast to you for the passion that you bring to the industry, both for pets, for diversity, for human interaction, for just being a good person. Thank you so much for what you do. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. And I want to propose a toast to my executive producer, Mark Winter, for letting me have these awesome guests and talking about all these important things, sometimes fun, sometimes serious, always with a glass of wine in my hand. So cheers to you, Mark, and cheers to our audience for joining us for these awesome discussions. Here's to a life covered in pet hair, because there's no better way to live. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about Covered in Pet Hair, please visit coveredinpethair.com or petliferadio.com. And don't forget, to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get my videos whenever I upload. And if you're listening to this on Pet Life Radio or podcasting platform, 
please be sure to review the podcast, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, and so you can get all the notifications when I drop a new episode with awesome people from the pet industry. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.